Hello and welcome, all my partners in crime, and I say that, you know, in the best possible way. Um, I'm just so excited today. I've had a really busy day in this morning. I've got up and took loads and loads of texts and um, messages saying that we've reached 8,000 subscribers. So, my gosh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know, this channel, we do this stuff and we didn't even know that anyone really liked it. And you have just supported us in the best way. So this is really an achievement for all of us. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased that it's doing so well and we're getting the awareness out there and keeping it going. And, you know, well, I don't know what else to say. I'm just blown away by it. So thank you so much. And listen, I need to get onto this case because this case is such a long case. And I did say, um, when I advertise this case, and it's a Rose and Fred West case, um, that it's probably going to be two parts. It's actually going to be three-part video. The reason being is because there's so much content in this and, and stuff that I don't think I could have left out. I wouldn't have been telling the whole, the whole story of it, especially of their backgrounds and their lives and different things that really make up this crime. The crime is bad enough itself. I think their upbringing, you know, it was just shocking, really. And no one knows, do they, really? You know, people are experts at this. We're not, we're not. human behavior and, and issues as a child and, and trauma as a child may affect one person differently than it's going to affect somebody else. So yes, there are things in this case that Fred and Rose West, um, had done to them as a child and they were horrific literally horrific and you know I do think myself when I read this well is this what made them be the killers they are or is it that maybe it's because they met and they wouldn't have killed separately I actually think they would have killed separately to tell you the truth I think it was just bad luck for all the victims here that these two met each other and formed this bond, really. Um, and they both had this killer instinct. They had absolutely no empathy, no care, no feeling for anybody, absolutely anybody. And I think this is why I have to put <coughs> everything in this case. And so that's why it's going to be three parts. But again, I'm not going to leave you long waiting. <coughs> as soon as I've edited them, and they're ready to go, I'm putting them up for you to watch because it's the worst thing to have to wait for a part one or you know part two or three. So I'll be putting them up. Again though, this the reason I've advertised this case early is because of the graphic detail within this case. Listen, there's bestiality, there's torture, murder, sexual abuse, incest, um I you know, this it's just everything you can possibly think of a crime, really, you know, what horrific stuff that could be done to another person was done in this crime. So there's a warning out about this. And I know I have it on the intro where it says, you know, be careful, you know, this is, but this is a warning out there about this case. It is graphic in detail. I'm not going to hold back at all. It has to be told. It, it's, it's so horrific. So if this sort of crime is not for you, then you should switch off now. So this is part one 
or free and this is where I look at Fred's childhood first as he comes up to meeting Rose and then on their meeting I go back and I look at Rose's upbringing and then we continue on to how this is all really started so if you're ready let's get on with it so Frederick Walter Stephen West was born on the 29th of September 1941 and he died on the 1st of January 1995. He actually killed himself when he was in prison awaiting to go trial for multiple murders. Um, all these, I think it was 12 murders that he was charged with at the time and he, these murders took place between 1967 and 1987 in Gloucestershire. Now, these are what they know of. And I think with Fred West, it is difficult to know exactly how many he killed. Now, he didn't kill always with his second wife, Rosemary. He actually started quite young um, killing. And so it's difficult. Most of the killings were in Gloucestershire at their home, um, in this Cromwell Street, what they call the House of Horrors. <clears throat> but there was other um, murders that I think he um, undertook and they were in Scotland and different parts of England as well. He also loved Wales and he loved Barry Island in Wales. So they don't really know if there was any there. He went there as a child and he had this thing with Barry Island in Wales and he, that comes in a little bit later on. So there, you know, this is the crimes we know about. This is the crimes that he sort of said, he admitted in the end, um, but it's definitely not all of them, it's definitely not. So all the victims were young women, at least eight of these murders were the West's sexual gratification, it was done for that really, and we go into that in a bit more detail. All these murders include rape, bondage, torture, mutilation of the victims and dismemberment. Now, they both like to dismember bodies and we a lot of the time because he want the way he wanted to bury them but also most of the victims or all the victims actually were missing fingers and or hands or feet um toes there were certain things on each body that was missing and they believed that they were missing because they used to like a keepsake so he would remember as we've talked about before with many many serial killers and this is what they are like to have that something of that victim to remind them of that crime and plus he remembered exactly exactly all them years from the first murder down to the last one he told about where their bodies were buried so most of them of these bodies were buried at the Cromwell Street home um, they were in either I think in the um, cellar in the garden um, different places that he used to bury them, but somewhere in fields, and fields change over years, and he still took these place to the exact places. So he remembered, he remembered each kill, and he buried them in a certain position where he could always remember, and if he wanted to go there, which he did, um, he would know exactly where they were. So Fred is known to have committed at least two murders on his, on his own. While, Ro Ro while Rosemary was known to have murdered Fred's stepdaughter, Charmaine, um, and the couple were apprehended in 1994. So this is an old case, but this, is, <laughs> this case isn't going anywhere. 
this case is still in the news because Fred may be dead, took his own life, but Rosemary is still well alive and kicking. So as I said earlier, him, he did kill himself, he asphyxiated himself in prison. Um, I think it was um, in Birmingham. And the, the issue with that is that he was in prison and he was in prison on remand for quite a long time. And at first when you go into prison, especially someone like this, is that you have a suicide watch. So you're at every 15 minutes, your cell's checked and everything else. But as Fred um, was in there for quite a long time and he hadn't tried suicide or even talked about suicide, um, he was a bit depressed, I think. And But most criminals are when we're caught and we spoke about this, haven't we? Um, with the summer murders where that you know they can't believe they've been caught and, and all of a sudden their freedom's been taken away so they do get a bit depressed so his how he killed himself was is that they had took him off the suicide watch because it had been months since he'd have been in there and he'd been collecting all that time bits of material and stuff from the laundry and um, used different things and he hung he hung himself I think from the door and then attached something to the window and literally knelt down on his knees and killed himself. Um, I think they was up for, I think, uh, nine murders, and at the time, nine or 10 murders. Uh, and in 1995, 1995, Rose was convicted um, of 10 murders and sentenced to 10 life sentences with a whole life order. That means that she would not be eligible for parole at all. So now I want to go on to now I've explained to you what this case is about and if you still think this is the case you want to listen to then continue on if not you know switch off because it's about to get bad. So as I said Fred was born uh, 29 December 1941 in Brickenden Cottage in uh, Much Markle in Herefordshire. Um, the first surviving child actually born to water Stephen West another case on his own, him, uh, 5th of um, July 1914, he was born and he died in, um, I think, 28th of March 1992, and Doris, uh, sorry, Daisy Hannah Hill, so both died really before these two were brought to any justice, really. So Fred was uh, from a poor family, um, they worked as farm workers, and they were close-knit actually, they were uh, you know, really protective, I think, of each other. And um, the father was a really strict disciplinarian. He was really, really strict. Uh, and, and I don't think not a nice man at all. And there's stories about him, but it's hard to establish whether they're true or not about Fred's father. But I think when you hear about Fred's life, the father um, probably was. I mean, I... I because I don't know if it's true, and we can't prove if it's true, and the man's not here now, is he? He died in, in 1992, um, Fred's father. It's difficult to really establish whether this was true or not. But there used to be, around about where they lived, a big barn. And it is said that the screams of children used to be heard from this barn. And yet it was Fred's father that had murdered children in, you know, around in that area. I mean, you know, people speak about things, don't they, after people die and stuff. But when you hear the background of this family, there may be some truth in it. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not saying there is, but there may be. But again, as I said, you know, the man isn't here to defend himself. There's nobody's been found. I mean, when you look at Gloucestershire, 
to find a body in Gloucestershire. I mean, you know, it's just fields and hills and and stuff. If you want to get rid of a body, Gloucestershire is the place to do it, I think. And I think in them days, you know, we didn't, people were poor in this area. People were very poor. People were over were poor. And youngsters were going missing, you know, who were homeless or whatever. You wouldn't never know. So that's the sort of stories that you get um, about Fred's father. And, you know, as I say, I don't know if it's true or not. But I wanted to mention it because, it, you know, there was definitely something about this family that wasn't right, really. And you had this mother, and she was just really, you know, overprotected. And Fred was a mummy's boy. Now, I say a mummy's boy in, in the nicest possible sense. Sometimes when you see young kids with their mums, they're lovely. I think, I think mummy's boy in Fred West's case is not correct. I mean, not really. I wouldn't say she was um, overprotective and, you know, um, a woman that, you know, mothered him. I think she was a paedophile. And that's clearly what she was. Because when you hear about what Fred says about it and how he believed that what he was doing was normal, because this comes from the mother. So listen, they had this cottage that had no electricity in it, no heating, no log fire, you know, it just had a log fire, I think. And by 1951, Fred's um, mother had given birth to eight children and six of them who survived. So, you know, that was normal in that day and age, really. You know, it was normal. It, you know, not any contraception, really, and people just having kids. Now, all these kids, you know, worked on this land. They all had jobs to do, they had to work. It wasn't very wealthy at all. And um, I think Fred's mother had given birth to like these six kids and then you had Fred that was always said to be his mother's favorite. And I think we'll see what I mean about that in a minute. So, you know, I think to the rest of even the siblings and the family, he was seen as the mummy's boy. And I suppose that's the term they wanted to use. Um, I think they didn't really have many friends. I think they relied on each other for friendship and companionship because they had to work. If they went to school, they had to come home and work. There was chores they had to do. I think the boys um, harvested the wheat and um, they hunted rabbits and stuff. And the girls, they picked the hops and the strawberries. So everyone worked in this family. So from the outside, I suppose, when you're talking about Fred West's background, you know, from an outsider who didn't know so much about what's going on in there. It was a normal family of their time. They were a hard-working family. They were farmers or farmhands. They'd really work the land well. All the kids would um, work. They'd go to school, they'd work. But it was what, what was going on behind them closed doors. It was what was really happening there, behind them closed doors, that gives you some indication of what Fred said, and it's only what Fred says. And I don't think he's going to lie about this, really. I don't think he's a liar, Fred. He's a killer. I don't think he's a liar. He might be a bit to make you feel um, to get in his car or to overpower you, maybe. He may have missed the truth a bit. But I don't think he's lied about any of this. He had no reason to. He knew he was never going to get off. When Fred spoke about his childhood, he spoke about it like it was normal. 
like everyone was doing it. That's how everyone was brought up. So as I said, they was working and everyone worked because they had to work. So he had a really good work ethic, Fred. He wasn't very great at school. I think he was a bit illiterate. He, he, he really couldn't learn. I think his classmates would call him to be a bit, you know, scruffy and dim. And he just, he was always in trouble. He just really couldn't be bothered with it. But he was really good at woodwork and at, and at artwork. And he was really good with his hands. Um, but he also was a petty thief. So he, he knew how to get money. So even if he didn't work for it, he would steal it. He knew what he wanted and he was just going to go and do it anyway. So he left school in December of 1956 um, at the age of 15 and lots of people in 1950s, that was the average age to leave school. I think uh, 15 and nine months, I think was, was the age. Um, and he worked a, a labourer um, at Moore Court Farm. Um, now this is where it starts to get strange with, with Fred because Fred claims that he was introduced by sex by his mother at the age of 12 to have engaged in the acts of bestiality with animals in his early teens and then he's believed in incest um, and it was normal to him and this stemmed from his father's incest with Fred's sisters. So now you see what I mean about this family what's going on behind closed doors. So Fred's father was a child abuser. He was raping his sisters and he thought nothing wrong in it at all. He was allowing and encouraging bestiality. They had a farm. They had, I think it was a pig I think he had and that, it was just different things. He encouraged that. The mother encouraged him to have sex with him at 12, with her at 12. She introduced him to sex. So what's going on in his household? So now we've got these kids being brought up in this household of child molesters, paedophiles, and no one knew. And so because this had happened all Fred's life, this is all Fred knew. To him, this was normal. You know, incest was normal. Bestiality was normal. Having sex with your mother was normal to Fred. And even when he was explaining this under his arrest, he, um, he felt there's nothing wrong with it. It was just normal. Now, in their defense, Fred's youngest brother, Doug, dismissed these claims as fantasy on Fred's part. I actually don't believe that. I think from how he is known in this area as a very young person, there was something definitely going on here from a very, very young age. Now, I could be wrong. We wasn't there, was we? And it's a younger brother, so maybe it didn't happen to the younger brother. Maybe the father was too old by then or the mother, you know, didn't like any of the other children because as we know, you know, Fred was a mummy's boy, her favourite. Because, you know, paedophiles have favourites. And to introduce a boy at 12, and he was quite honest about it. There was no, he wasn't trying to get off. He knew he was never going to get off on murder. There's nothing to do with the murder charges and that way he was saying it. He was just telling about his upbringing. But to Fred, it was normal. 
So maybe to um, Doug, his brother, um, he didn't know, or Fred could have lied. We don't know, do we? So in 1957 time, him and his brother John, so this is Fred and his brother John, frequently um, socialised at this youth club. And I think it's in Led Led Ledbury. Um, and he had this, you know, Hereford, I can't even do the Herefordshire accent. I can't do it. I love it, but I can't do it. Um, and it sort of made him stand out as a bit of a country bumpkin. Um, I think, you know, in London we say this a lot, you know, people speak a little bit different to what we speak, and I speak different to everyone anyway. Um, we do say country bumpkins, it's people that come from country towns and stuff, because it just sounds different to us. They probably call us, I think, southerners, and God knows what else they call us, probably a lot more than country bumpkins. Um, so he, he had that sort of thing. He was aggressive, uh, well, aggressively really persistent to women at this youth club. I mean, don't get these girls are only young, saying the women they're they're young, he was only a teenager at that time. Um and these girls and he really he just it, it was just he really made it quite clear it was just about his pleasure. He was um just continually to objectify them and, and, and to make them sources of his pleasure rather than you know, oh, do you want to go and have a dance? This It was all about sex for Fred from a very, very young age. It was about taking control of that situation because that's what he wanted. No matter what these young girls wanted, that's what he wanted. And he would, um, just out of the blue, because he thought it was normal, fondle them in the open, in a youth club, anywhere, just fondle them in their private parts because Fred thought he could. And Fred thought that was normal to do that. So shortly after his 17th birthday, Fred brought a motorbike. Uh, and two months later, he suffered a fractured skull, broken arm and a broken leg in this accident. Now, people say that they think he had frontal lobe damage from that, which he could have. But this boy, before this, this motorbike accident, was already displaying behaviours of a predator of a sexual predator. He already had this um, feeling that he could do what he want to women because that's what he wanted to do, no matter what they wanted to do. And he had slept with some women by that time because his mother had showed him how to do it. But it was always about Fred's sexual gratification, not about the women at all. He didn't care. Once he's finished, he's done. That was it. But after this accident, things started to get a little worse I think I don't think he can control his it is you know I don't think he controlled it in the first place but I think after this accident and it is true that frontal lobe damage will change your personality but I don't think Fred's personality was changed that much I think it may have made it a bit worse but he had already had that personality he was already on that track of becoming a serious perpetrator at a very, very young age. And the, the motorbike accident, yes, probably took away any empathy or any feeling, you know, um, from him. And the problem is, is when you haven't got any empathy and you've already got this personality that we, and then maybe this upbringing that makes you think that you can just take and do what you want to anyone. So any scream or any shout or, you know, any pleading with someone like this where they haven't got any empathy is useless.
because they can't see that response. They don't see it, they don't care. They're only thinking about their self. So no empathy is a highly dangerous thing not to have because how can you feel the pain of somebody else? How can you see the um, anxiety, the fear in someone? You can't. This is all comes down to this, but I don't think Fred had much of it before. And I think the motorbike accident really took away anything he had anyway. It just made him worse. I think on that motorbike accident, he um, was in a coma, I think, for seven days. Once he come out of that coma, I think the only difference with him really was his fits of rage he used to have. He couldn't control his temper at all. And that usually is some frontal um, load damage. He also had this fear of hospitals. He was really, really fearful of any hospital. But two years later, Fred suffered another head injury. Um, when a girl, <laughs> literally, um, he groped her. He groped a girl and he was standing on the top of the stairs and literally she pushed him off a fire escape and uh, I think he fell two floors, again landing on his head. So any damage that was already done, you know, or he was already suffering, there was now more of it. Now we don't know, do we, if, if, if that caused any damage at all. We don't know, but now you're talking about an upbringing of a, a young boy from a very young age that has experienced incest and, and this horrid, really, sexual abuse where it was so normalised that he believed that was what it was like. He believed that he could touch and grope anyone, even in public. That's before he had the accident, the first accident. And the, ac the second accident then probably did damage his frontal lobe. And then he became more enraged. He couldn't hold his temper. The empathy was totally gone. By the, by the second fall, um, God knows what this did to Fred. Did it make him a killer? Or was he already on the track of becoming a killer? We don't know. And the other thing we don't know is when he was groping these women all these years ago and doing all this stuff, was he already killing? Because we don't know. No one really knows. So in 1961, Fred's 13-year-old sister Kitty told her mother that Fred had been raping her since the previous December and he had impregnated her so she was pregnant by Fred West at 13. Um, arrested um, that same month I think Fred freely admitted to police he had been molesting young girls since his early teens and really asked the police and this is in the police notes well doesn't everyone do it so can you see I know I know Fred's brother Doug said there wasn't this history of abuse in this home to do with the dad and the mum. But we have a person here that's been raping his sister, Kitty, since she was 13, impregnated her, didn't care. And telling the police that doesn't everyone do it. So it's sort of telling you he wasn't lying, really. Or... Um, you know, I don't understand it. So when you hear that, on, the, on I think on the 9th of December, that um, Daisy, um, his mother, even though the daughter has been impregnated by him, she goes to court with him, 
Um, she says she's disgusted with his actions, she says that, but she prepared to testify in his defence, the defence of the rape of the daughter. She was going to stand by her son, you know, <laughs> and Kitty refused to testify after that. So there were signs here, weren't there early on with Fred West? There really was. But as now when Fred, because he's the case has collapsed and but much of Fred's family at this point really did disown him after that his mother had actually banished him from the home and the household and I think she had to and he moved to much Markle house then with his um, aunt Violet by 1962 or mid 1962 he had um, reconciled with his parents you know they forgive him um, but his relationship with most of the other family um, remained really fragile. I don't think they wanted him around, really. I think when people like this, if there's things going on in a home that you don't want anyone else to know about, and then all of a sudden he's stepped over the mark, hasn't he, for them? Even though his mother stood by him, she had to be seen to banish him. It's not true, it's not true. Even though his father, and you know, was having sex with the other kids. There's a lot going on in this family. So I think he first got married, and I think Fred became reacquainted actually with Catherine or Rene, Rene um, Bernadette Costello in September 1962 when he was first 20, when he was 21. And he first met Costello, who came from Cotbridge in Lancashire um, at Match Markle Dance Hall in 1960. So he'd met her previously before. They dated for several months before she returned to Scotland um, and Costello was pregnant by an Asian bus driver at the time of her marriage to Fred. Um, and they may have, um, I think they relocated actually to Glasgow and then um, to England due to members of the family expressing their disapproval that she was pregnant with a mixed race child. Now we are talking about 1960s and I mean no disrespect whatsoever in saying this, but this is about someone's life and this is about how people have told their story about what went on in that day and age. Now, people don't care, but in them days, they did. So she married Fred on, I think, uh, in Ladbury on the 17th of November and the only sole guest was um, Fred's youngest brother or younger brother John. Now John comes into this a little bit later on as well. So the couple lived initially, I think they lived with Fred's aunt in her, the aunt's home and then they moved to um, Catbridge or Coatbridge, uh, Coatbridge uh, where Fred worked as an ice cream van driver and uh, Renee's daughter Charmaine was born in March of 1963. To explain the child's mixed ancestry, uh, Renee and Fred claimed that she had suffered a miscarriage and that Charmaine was adopted. Shortly thereafter, the couple relocated to Savoy Street in the Bridgetown district of Glasgow. In July 1964, uh, Renee um, had another daughter by Fred, Anne-Marie, and the child was born um, at the couple's Savoy Street home. So this family nanny, uh, I think it's Isaac McNeil, 
um, and the neighbour of the West at that point, um, recalls that Renee was really a considerate and, and lovely person, a nice mother. She was struggling, you know, as you would be in them days to bring up two children. And Fred treated these children terribly, really terribly. He kept the girls in the bottom um, of, a bu of a bunk bed uh, and then fitted it with bars. So, you know, bunk beds usually open. Fred actually barred it up, put bars in it so they couldn't get out and literally caging them, really. And they were only allowed out when he was at work. When he was in the home, they were locked in a cage made from these bunk beds. Very young kids, terrible, really. So, um, McNeil and Wes became, you know, acquainted um, with this 16-year-old Anne McPhill. A, a friend of McNeil's, um, who was, she was really upset, I think, over the death of her boyfriend, uh, and he had a workplace accident. And McPhill spent a great deal of time at the Wests and in their flat, and she'd become really friendly, actually. I don't think they could get rid of her. But I think she needed someone because she'd lost this boyfriend at work. I think Rena really liked her. And I think she was a bit infatuated for Fred, actually, because she was very quite young. And I think she just needed a friend, and that's what she found in them. So listen, all this time that he lived in Glasgow and was married, you know, you'd thought everything was right. He was an ice cream van and he was bringing in the money. He always used to go to work and bring in the money, Fred did. But it's what you got, really. He was married to a madman, a psychopath, really. You know by what's been said by the neighbours and different things who knew him in this, in this time, is that he would lock these children in this cage-type bed. Um, whenever he was there, he was abusive to her, he was an abusive man, he was a violent man, he was a sexually aggressive man, a sexually violent man um, to women and children and it was just terrible really and he would then, he couldn't help himself, it was constantly having affairs, um, it was, you know, and there was I think other children that were born to other people, he just couldn't help himself, you know, Today, you know, you know, is he a sex addict? Probably. I don't think there was anything that was going to stop Fred West. One woman that would have never been enough, and really one woman couldn't tolerate him for very long because of his behaviour. But he had many, many affairs throughout this time. And he was this ice cream man. And so when we say that there was probably other murders in Scotland, there's a lot of people that's disappeared in Scotland around this time. And Fred is, you know, even though you can't prove it, he would have um, been a suspect in that. If you look at them cases today, Fred West would have absolutely been a suspect in many of these cases today. So then into this picture comes this John McLaren. Now, Renee had had enough, really. She knew about all these affairs, she had enough. And I think any woman that has been beaten and put down as she was, um, at some stage just has enough. And then she found this John McLaren, and he seemed to be um, quite strong. And, and, you know, I think, I think she relied on him a lot. And on one occasion, Fred, you know, just discovered him, like, kissing and stuff. And he punched um, her, um, making her really scream. He was just punching her. But, see, the response from um, John McLaren was he punched Fred back. And then <laughs> Fred drew a knife. 
and really said, you know, I'm going to kill you. I think he slashed his abdomen and things like that. But when, on the second punch, um, John McLaren punched him again, and he stopped then, Fred stopped. So he was all right hitting women and attacking women, but he couldn't handle a man coming back at him. He didn't know what to do. So on the second punch, McLaren then, that was it. And, you know, he'd had enough. And he, he rec recalled this incident. You know, there was a lot of things I think he was always seeing that, that she was having, um, like Rena was having black eyes, serious black eyes, serious trauma to her body, black and blue all over from what Fred West had done to her. And it didn't actually stop just because of John McLaren. So I think, I think, I think he did, John McLaren beat him one more time. I think he actually really beat him, really beat Fred West for the attack that he had done on his wife. And I think the affair carried on and carried on. And, but then something happened, you see, there was an accident on the 4th of November, 1965. Um, Fred had accidentally run over a child, killed a small boy in Glasgow with his ice cream van. Uh, Fred was cleared of any wrongdoing, again, by police. But he feared that, you know, this hostile reaction that was, you know, he'd killed a young child. He'd run someone over with an ice cream van. This ice cream van was his living. What could he do if he couldn't sell this ice cream? Plus, I think he'd had enough of this John McLaren, really. He was being beaten every time he would beat her. He would get a beating himself, and I think he'd had enough. So his excuse then was that we're leaving now, we're going back. And that's why he ended up going to Gloucestershire again. So in December, um, he did return to Gloucester with Charmaine, the young child, the first child um, of Rene and the Asian um, man descent. And then also with his own child, Anne-Marie, um, they were rented a caravan in uh, Timberland's Caravan Park in Bishop's Cleeve. Um, and then I think he went first because he wanted to get straight out of Scotland. He knew there's going to be reprisals for it. So he left. And then I think in the February that his wife joined him. And, um, and also that came with him was this Ish, uh, Aisha uh, McNeil and Anne McFallon uh, or McFall. They all came back with her to this caravan. They all lived in this caravan. So... <laughs> In 1967, you know, they, they, uh, 66, every, you've got him, two children, Rene, um, McFall and McNeil, all living in this little caravan and all really, in the end, waiting on this man hand and foot because you can imagine what he was like. And these are very young girls that he was taking advantage of, really. So I think when he moved back up to Gloucestershire, he started, he found a, a job as a lorry driver. But there were some really strange things going on in this caravan. You had these three women, and as I said, he was overpowering anyway, Fred. You know, he, if he wanted you, he was just going to take you. You couldn't say no. If you did, he wouldn't have cared. He would have done it anyway. But he seemed to now have dominance over all these three women. You know, he was in control, and he liked that. He would be sleeping with all of them. And they would do as they was told, or they were beaten. So as I said, yes, they were all beaten, but then you've got to think of his stepdaughter, Charmaine. 
Now this child's only young now, and she was frequently attacked, really physically attacked on more than one occasion. And you've got three adult women in this caravan also being beaten, but then he's attacking this child as well. And God knows what else he's doing to this child. Because So it's also been reported that he was also abusing her sexually. This is little Charmaine. Um, it would have been terrible because this man was quite a violent man. Plus he had these three women in the house so you, in this caravan. So, you, you know, they must have all witnessed what was going on and, and, and stuff. It must have been absolutely awful for this child. But plus he also encouraged Renee to return to prostitution to supplement, you know, his meagre income, he says. And I, you'll notice with every girl he's ever got with, he wants them to be a prostitute. We'll go into that in a little bit later on. So listen, by this stage, you know, I think she's only been living there a few months. Um, Rena, she she ran. She had to get away from him. He was so abusive to her. Plus, he was abusive to the daughter, which she would have known about. She would have actually known about it. She must have. Um, he was sadistic and he was sexually sadistic. And he, his demands and he, and so Renee phoned um, John McLaren begging him to rescue her. She just needed him to come and get her and she also asked if McNeil and her, you know, and the children go, just come and pick me up. So together, uh, McLaren and uh, Renee and McNeil devised a plan, you see, where McNeil's boyfriend, John uh, Trotter, would secretly drive to Bishop's Cleave in McLaren's little mini and discreetly take Renee um, with her children and McNeil back to Scotland. She tried to secretly do it, and we spoke about this before with domestic abuse. You know, she didn't want him to know because she needed to leave without him knowing. I think one, for fear of getting beaten, two, they'd been sexually, and there was lots of sadistic stuff going on here. Plus now her children, or her, one of her child, child, was getting abused, and she knew that. So there was this plan hatched, and he was coming to get her. The thing is what they forgot, really, was about this McFall, the girl that had lost her boyfriend young, she was young. She then became infatuated with Fred, really infatuated with him, even though she must have seen all this, what was going on, living like that. But she thought, he's not beating me, he's only beating them, he doesn't love them, he loves me. Of course he's having an affair with this girl on the side as well. And at that time, though, no, he wasn't beating her, so she became infatuated with him. He promised to marry her, and it was like she informed Fred then of everything, all the plan. Um, so he arrived at this meeting, um, and McFall was like just quiet. She didn't say anything at all. But things started getting a little bit out of hand. So you had now Fred being attacked by McLaren again. He was being hit and hit and hit. But what Fred did was he grabbed a hold of Charmaine and Anne-Marie to say, you're not taking them. He wouldn't let go. So where you have this man trying to hit him, and you know they just wanted to take the children and all leave. Fred wasn't having none of it. He was keeping them children. So he told her to leave, Renee to leave, and he said that he would kill her if he ever saw her again. But McFall, you see, stayed. She stayed to be the nanny of these children, this young girl. She stayed to be their nanny and help Fred out because he promised to marry her, love her, 
care for her, even though she's seen everything that was going on. So as time went on, Renee did continually, frequently travelled up to England, from England, Scotland, back and forward, back and forward to see her children and try and get these children. She knew that Mavul was there. She probably knew what was going on because she had already lived in this caravan. She knew what that Fred West was like. She couldn't get her children off him at all. He weren't having none of it. But she continued to try. And I think on um, the 11th of October, um, Renee, I think she just got really pissed off and she thought, you, I can't get my children. So she took stuff out of, of Fred's caravan. She took stuff out of it and returned to Glasgow with some of his belongings. He actually rung the police and got her arrested for that because that's what Fred was like. He thought he could get away with anything, but you touch anything of his or try and take anything of his, he's not having none of it. And he wanted her prosecute, prosecuted and that's exactly what happened to her. So I think on the 29th of November, she was actually um, sentenced to three years probation. So after this trial, because she was on three years probation, Renee decided to stay in Gloucestershire. She stayed, she also got a caravan at this Timberland Caravan Park. And she alternated between living there and then also living back in Glasgow. And letters from McFall were posted to her family and McNeil in Glasgow between 1966 and 1967, indicating that she believed that this relationship with Fred was um, offering her a better life and that's where she wanted to remain with him because she was so happy. Plus, because she was living with Fred, this Anne McFall, she was living with him. She loved him, remember, she was infatuated with him. She was only young. She, you know, lost this boyfriend at a work accident, met this couple in Scotland, befriended them, went off, got infatuated with him, now living in a caravan with him, babysitting for his two children, probably being now beaten and God knows what else but she still was infatuated with him and she wanted him to divorce her, Renee, so she, he could marry her. She wanted to be married. She wanted him all to herself. Well, in July 1967, McFall, age 18, was eight months pregnant at the time with Fred's child, just vanished. Uh, she was never reported missing but her dismembered uh, remains were found buried on the edge of a cornfield between Much Markle and Kempsley in June 1994. That was one of the victims that they actually found where he remembered where he buried this body. Now at that time he was not with Rose West when he committed this first murder, or we're calling it a first murder because it's the one we know about. But this, this woman, this um, Anne, was eight months pregnant at the time there and um, her limbs have been carefully you know put around um, her fingers again the bones the fingers were gone some one of the hands I think have gone one of the feet have gone because that's what he likes to keep and we've said that before he likes to keep these body parts um, and I think her unborn child had also been taken it had literally been cut out of her and the fetus was removed remember she was eight months pregnant at the time. This is a formed child now, a month off from being born. And it was cut out of her, and that body's never been found. So Fred denied anything for many, many years, and he even started denying it once he was arrested, actually. 
um, when he was charged with the other murders. Um, he did in the end confide in a visitor and following his arrest um, he said that he had stabbed her to death following an argument. Um, I think this ex explanation is inconsistent with the facts that her wrists were also found um, with sections of her dressing gown so she had been tied up. Um, he said it was an argument that went wrong and that's why he stabbed her. Well, it looks like she was tortured first also. There was also a cord wrapped around them so she was tied up and suggested that she had been restrained. Of course, you know, for, for a probably a long time before she had murdered, he tortured her before she was murdered. So we don't know whether she lost her child when she was alive or when she was dead. We just don't know. So the following month, Renee returned to live with Fred and the couple relocated to a lake house or to the lake house caravan park. Their relationship initially improved because I think she wanted her children back. Don't forget now you have Fred West because he's murdered and no one knows, she's just not there. These children now are on their own with him. Now there's no one to look after him. I think she went back purely for the sake of her children to try and get these kids back from him. Um, but as I said, it, it may have improved for a little while, but then Renee left the following year, again leaving the children in, in his care, because I don't think she could take them. I just don't understand it. But in that day and age, you know, when you're talking about the 60s, you couldn't go down and get income support, you know, benefits as a single parent. It's very, very difficult. He was working. He had the money. She had nothing. She had absolutely nothing. She had no choice, I think, but to leave her children there. She managed another year of doing that with him, but I don't think she could do it any longer, to tell the truth. I don't. So at this time, after she left Fred for that year, he had no one. He hadn't. I think people in this area had sort of known him. It, it, you know, burnt every bridge he had. There was no one now to look after these kids. He'd murdered Anne, hadn't he, a year before. So she wasn't there to look after his children. Rene had left because she had had enough. And so he put the children in care um, with the social services in Gloucester. Why he was, you know, that was a temporary placement, why he was looking for work and could be able to work until he found somebody else that would then take care of his children. Fred's first encounter with Rosemary Lett was in early 1969, shortly after her 15th birthday. This girl was only 15 when she met Fred West. The pair first met in um, Chilton bus station. Now bus stations, you're fine with bus stations with Fred West, but that's where he would abduct quite a lot of his victims from. A lot of victims have known that he has taken and, and tried to abuse and abduct and murder were taken from bus stations. So that was sort of, I don't know if he was doing it at that point, he probably could have done because he'd already done one murder that we know of, but he met Rose there and Rose was actually quite an attractive girl, a very dark haired girl, you know, um, quite an attractive girl, but she was very young, she was very young, um, but she certainly wasn't naive. So this is where they met, they met this bus station. Now Rose was a little bit repulsed by Fred, you see, his unkempt appearance. He wasn't, he'd never been a one to do himself up because he didn't think he needed to, you see, because it didn't matter what you thought, did it, as a woman, he was going to do it anyway. 
So why would he even change his appearance for you or try and have a wash or clean himself? He didn't need to. But she was quite repulsed by that. And actually she, um, she sort of said, you know, like you're a tramp because that's how he usually walked around and looked like a tramp. And, um, but she quickly really, he, he quickly became very flattering towards her. He, he had this way with women. Um, he really did. He knew what he was doing. This, this, as I say, these are young girls, they're not women. He would never have had a chance of an older woman, really. But these were young girls and they were easily influenced and he would try and, you know, flatter them and say how beautiful they were and send flowers and all this sort of stuff to get them. Because really, this man's now looking for another babysitter. Really, isn't he? And another relationship that he can abuse him. So this is a certain ripe age, isn't it? 15, he's thinking, this is great. I've got someone here that I can control. Oh, how... <laughs> How wrong was he when he met Rose? So they quick, you know, so the attention that continued and he lavished her all this, you know, you know, the following day. And then I think he, she worked in a bakery at the time. Rose, I think it was a bakery. And she, um, all of a sudden, a woman came in with all these flowers and stuff and was talking to her and said, oh, this man outside has asked me to give you these. He wants to speak to you, you know, and in walks Fred, you know, I just want to take you for dinner. Um, I just, you know, you're the most beautiful woman. And she agrees then to see him and go on a date. I think on these first few meetings, Fred noticed that even though she came across as this young, innocent girl, quite naive in a way, really, that she, and she'd never had a boyfriend because he'd asked her, you know, if you had any boyfriends? No, no, no. But she came across as very, very promiscuous. Very promiscuous. And there's a reason for that. And as we look a little bit more about Rose in a minute, you'll see what I mean. So again, you know, Fred uses his tool of, feel sorry for me, I've got two children, I'm on my own, I'm trying to work, I need help, I need assistance. And I think she fell for it, really. You know, she it, he said he'd been abandoned by his wife. Well, he had. She'd run off because he beat her. He had these two children. This terrible man looking after these two children. Must have been awful. And um, he wished, you know, he could have more children. And he just wanted this loving relationship with someone. Um, so it was a bakery she worked at. And I think after meeting Fred, I think after a week or so of knowing him, that she gave up her job to look after his children. And it was a bit of a secret because her mum and dad, you see, she said would be very annoyed if they found out that she was seeing someone like Fred. Because Fred come across in his way of even speaking as maybe a bit slow or um, stuff. Um, but also his appearance. Well, as I said, Rosemary wasn't an unattractive young girl. She was 15, she was young. At that age, she should have been naive, but she wasn't. Um, so she started lying to her parents. She told her parents that she was still working in this bakery, in this bread shop. She was still going to work every day, but Fred had to give her the money to um, show and give to the parents. Because in them days, you know, if you went to work, you had to help your parents out. That was the deal, really, and that's what she did um, and this went on for a good few months and then all of a sudden she decided to introduce Fred to her family to her mum and dad 
So <laughs> she's finally introduced him, I think several months later, to this family. And really, it was the reaction I think she thought she was going to get. The father couldn't stand him. And there's reasons for that. Um, and they were literally so against this man. The choice, I think the mother, Daisy Lett, she was so unimpressed that she actually called him, I think, a pathological liar. Um, the, the father, who, who uh, I think Bill Letts, he was a diagnosed schizophrenic and he believed um, really in molesting his daughters. And fearingly, really, he was just so unhappy with that she was actually even going to see somebody else let alone have a relationship with someone like Fred West, because he was already having a relationship with her. And I think he believed, I think it was Rosen, her sister, that he was um, molesting a lot of them from a very young age. And especially Rose, I think. I think that the others were beaten anyway and, and stuff by this father. That's what was alleged. Okay, that's what's been alleged. As I said, he's not here to say he didn't do it, but it's uh, well discussed, really, about what this man was like. But he was a diagnosed schizophrenic, and this is not saying that diagnosed schizophrenics are people like this. This man was a paedophile, a child molester. Literally, schizophrenia has nothing to do with this man, not with that part of it at all. That's got nothing to do with it at all. He was paedophile in his own right. He would um, abuse his children and attack the other children so violently it was terrible. But this is all Rose knew from a very early age. So I think when Fred met Rose and started talking to her, he could see something in her different than the others. He could see that she had already been abused. She felt I think the same as him. I don't think Rose ever had any empathy for anybody, for absolutely anybody. I think that was taken from her at a very, very young age. So in the end, her dad said, if you continue to see him, I'm going to ring social services because you're only 15. Even though he had been abusing this girl for years, really. And I think, you know, and this is what Fred saw in her. He saw the same thing, didn't he? He saw him in her. She is this woman like him. She is the female version of Fred West. And he clocked that from a very, very early stage in their relationship. He was infatuated with Rose. It wasn't the other way around. Rose, from a very early time on in that relationship she was in control because she'd never been in control in her life she has there's nothing that Fred West could have done to Rose West or Rose Letts at that point that she hadn't have done before anyway he'd met his match he'd met someone the same as him they connected on such a different level than just this other level where he'd met somebody like them. This girl, he saw himself in. He saw his partner. 
he saw his future in her and he loved her. So Rosemary Letts or Rose West as she was called now was born in um, Northam in Devon to William um, Andrew or Bill Letts and he was born on the 25th of February 1921 and he died on the 24th of May 1979 and Daisy um, Fuller was born in 1990 and, um, with um, Rose. She was one or she was the fifth of six of seven children um, born to this very, very poor family. Now, Rosemary's mother suffered, and there's a, a lot of interest in, in this sort of thing with Rosemary West. So Rosemary's mother suffered from depression, and so she was given this electro-convulsive um, therapy, this you know, ECT, while she was pregnant. And um, it's argued, really, that this treatment may have caused some you know parental injury really um to rose west so daisy received i think the last session of this ect just days before rose was born so listen we don't know do we we don't know if it was the alleged child abuse of rose that created the person she is or whether it was this ECT, the therapy that her mother had to go through because of severe depression and stuff um, that she had to go for while she was pregnant with Rose. We don't know if it was a mixture, do we, of everything, of the lifestyle, the incest, the, the abuse she suffered, the violence that, you know, we don't know. Plus all this on top, no one really knows. But I think what was clear with Rose West is that something's wrong. There is again no empathy in this woman. Not, not an ounce of it. Not an ounce. Again, she was a bit of a daydreamer. She was performing, you know, underperforming at school. Again, she wasn't the greatest pupil at school. She was moody and, um, but you know, 15, 14, 15, most teenagers are moody, aren't they? But the thing is, I think with, with Rose, you know, when you think what's going on at home and everything, what, you know, could she be bothered? She, you know, you know, she was performing badly at school, but how would you perform if you were being abused by your father and you had been all these years? Or there was other damage that's done to her brain because of this therapy that her mother had. And that she lived with her mother and attended this Cleve school for six years. Um, uh, or later for six months, sorry, and then she later moved in with her father at the age of 16 in this Bishop Clears near, near um, Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. And I think because he suffered with paranoid schizophrenia, you know, and as I say, there's many different forms of, of it, isn't there? But there was extreme violence in this home throughout and even in the home that he lived in, what she lived in with her. So I don't know why she chose to leave her mother's and go there, maybe work, maybe something else. We don't know, she's never really said about that sort of thing. But um, this repeated sexually abuse really of Rose and her older sister, uh, Patricia, it was systemic, it was horrific, the abuse. Um, he obsessively actually, as well, I think the abuse is one thing, but I think then you've got mental abuse and physical abuse, but mental abuse is where 
he was um she was at one you know like he made them clean their house then floors with toothbrushes you know that that's how manic he was it was it was toothbrushes had to be done every inch by a toothbrush so i think I think there's a lot going on in this this property, really, and so you can sort of see what, how she sort of lived. But then I think in early adolescence, she just became obsessed, really, and um, with her body. She wanted to, you know, um, show her developing body off, right? She wanted to walk around the house naked, and she did walk around naked. Uh, and paraded herself, sit in the windowsills and parade herself, just walk around with no clothes on um, in the house. And, and really her younger brother, Graham, who was born in 1957, was around at this point as well. And you've, you've got this girl, you know, coming into bloom, should we say, now showing everything off and is fascinated by this, her body. And it's on a number of occasions, I think, at the age of 13, that she would um, creep into her nine-year-old brother's bedroom and uh, molest him as well, and her and her younger brother Gordon. So Rose was sexually assaulting Graham, and he was twelve year old as well. So you've you've got this this girl that's being abused by her father then going on to become an abuser to her two younger brothers, one of nine and one of 12 year old. And um, so she was very promiscuous, she very sexual even in that stage. So as I say, we don't know whether it's because of the history of her childhood, her upbringing. We don't know if it's the mixture of the treatments the mother having. We don't know if any of them were the cause of it at all. No one knows, but it's you must look at the childhood to be able to sort of see what's coming forward. And I think when she met Fred, and she when she met Fred, and the father didn't want to see Fred, and the mother didn't want to see Fred. I mean, you know, they, I think she actually went into care for a few weeks because um, she wouldn't stop seeing Fred. And then she came out, she got pregnant um, by Fred. And then the father again put her into care and they said you can come out of care if you terminate the child and go home. She agreed and she didn't terminate the child. That's when the relationship of her and Fred really began. That's when it really started. 